Yes, we've had enough of the best of, and we're back for another original edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It's James Scott and Adam recording off well, the comfort of our own homes as we're trying to maintain a safe distance from one another, and that's not just to do with the body odour I've got because I've been out for a run. So, Adam, how are you going? Hey, James. Hey, Scott. How are you? Scott, how are you? Good, Adam. I'm good, James. How are you? Oh, can't complain. Like, slowly adapting to the working-from-home lifestyle, as I think we all are, and Knowing that as tedious as it can be, it's for the best. Oh, at least at least we're at least one and a half meters apart from each other, so no fine there. Yes, definitely. I think we're doing our best, and well, let's be honest. We've got two reasons that we wanted to do this uh, show this way tonight. We were supposed to be getting some sort of announcement from the FFA about the uh, resumption of the A League season, whether it was just another postponement or something. And also, it is of course the anniversary of Orange Sunday too. Since that's not really, uh, since a former is not really the case, we're probably going to spend a little bit more time on the latter. But in the meantime, I'll just uh, get into it with some quick plugs. This is the Brisbane Football Review. You can email us, brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Uh, Facebook, The Raw Review. Twitter, at BNE Football. And when football comes back, we will be doing live match updates from on both of those platforms. Uh, the radio show is replayed every week on Football Nation Radio. Check them out, I think, at FNR underscore radio on Twitter and Facebook Football Nation Radio. And the podcast is available on Wooshka, iTunes, Spotify, and a bunch of other platforms as well, all good platforms. Leave us a rating and a review because, well, we need to know that people are still listening during this time because, let's be honest, we're better than a lot of the other podcasts out there, aren't we, Scott? Uh, that's a statement that you're making, James. I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> well, look, we're not going. We're not going to be talking about Tiger King. We may get sidetracked on the Last Dance because that. What's is... a Tiger King? No, we're not talking about the Last Dance. <laughs> I still haven't seen it. You really should, because it is awesome. I watched the first mm. two episodes last night, and oh my god! Um, but in the meantime, we're going to talk about football. So, as it stands, we're still playing the. Um, we're still playing the waiting game, or as it's probably going to turn into, hungry, hungry hippos, while we're waiting for official confirmation on what's going to happen with the A-League season. But I suppose, first of all, Adam, how are you dealing with mm. having weekends again? Yeah, um, well, lucky, you know, lucky is still horse racing, otherwise it'd be a complete not a wipeout. But uh, yeah, no, no football in winter. It's a very, very weird uh, feeling. Scott? Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, just having weekends, but you can't exactly go and make use of them in any meaningful way, so it's still just sitting around the house, unfortunately. Yeah, that's it. I, have, I might have to take up Adam's advice and start following this horse racing thing because it's about all that's going at the moment. Yes, luckily for certain people in this conversation, yeah. <laughs> whose livelihood may. If revolt. you want to censor any any betting advice on some of these races, Adam, let us know. I, I think, oh yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, you might get a few tips. And that Twitter well, account. I follow you on Twitter. And that Twitter account is. Uh, Mazza underscore 316. There we go. So, <laughs> anything to keep us going because we will take any semblance of live sport and hopefully this uh, Skype call goes better than Friday's NFL draft. Okay, so... Yeah, football manager is not really live sport, unfortunately. As entertaining as leading Queensland towards the World Cup is. Yeah, it is, <laughs> it is something, but I will say I am getting way too invested in, like, the... <sighs> games of FIFA and Madden that I'm playing at the moment just because I'm missing live sport. Like, 
I score a late winner. I'm now jumping up and running around the lounge at the moment because that's how much I miss actual football. Not quite there yet, but the whole joke about dressing up for a cup final, that might actually happen if I get Queensland's my Republic of Queensland to the World Cup. <laughs> I, I did get the Socceroos to the World Cup semi-finals on my FIFA manager mode, which I was quite proud about. And had I made the final, I might have done the full, uh, full-blown full suit for the uh, World Cup final against what would have been Spain. Cakewalk. Yeah. Well, let's just say I am incredibly sad at the moment and desperate for anything, so I'll take it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so... All right, I, th- I think we've uh, tap-danced around the uh, fun stuff for a little while now let's get on to what we know as it stands football in queensland is suspended all the way through to the end of june and nationally it's actually the end of may i probably should have said that the other way around but i got caught in my own sentence structure so look without pretending to be medical expert because let's be honest we're really not adam what are you thinking about uh where the game is in terms of setting itself up for a possible resumption Look, I think the news from uh, the breaking news out of the NRL, I think at least is going to be a guide as far as what so the other sports are sort of looking at as far as, you know, timing. So I would say, look, I think early July might be a, you know, might be a relevant time where it basically gets stuck because obviously it's just not going to, you can't just switch a switch and it goes. So obviously we're at the moment, we're in April. Um, yeah, look, I think, you know, July, I think, is still, as a worst-case scenario, I reckon might be in play. Look, maybe mid-June for, for maybe for the professional leagues behind closed door. Uh, on that, I've act- I've got a, uh, I've come up with a full-blown schedule in my mind, which I will get to in a second. Scott, we'll go hear from you first, though. Yeah, I think in terms of when we might get underway, I was listening last week to um, the medical ep- ep- um, experts we were referring to, James. I was saying that we're going to consider reviewing all of these measures we're going through in four weeks. That was a week ago, so there's three weeks to go there. That takes you through mid-May. If things do go well, your idea of potentially starting the professional games behind closed doors in the sanitised way we saw them finish in June could happen, but we'll have to wait and see. I, I, I cannot imagine us having any sort of football or any kind of sport until mid-June at the earliest, and that's being entirely optimistic, assuming that things go the way we hope they do. But it's still a long way off, I think. Okay, so I've got a few points on this, so bear with me as I go on a little bit of a rant at the moment. Uh, you guys can go get a drink or something. So my th- <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> so my theory on all of this is basically that I think, as it stands, like the A-League is actually in a fairly fortuitous position in that next season, like the start of the 2020 uh, one season is so far away that they actually can probably finish this season as late as they need to and still give a full off-season and a fairly decent-length pre-season for a lot of these clubs. So I kind of get that, you know, we might not have to be pushing for a May 28th return date like the NRL is, and they're not in the same position that the AFL is where those two codes have the bulk of their season to still play. I think they've had two and one week, respectively. But then in that same regard i don't think we're going to be getting any football in front of fans uh for the rest of the a-league season maybe for the start of next season come october uh, november so with that in mind i've got this theory of i expected today's announcement to actually be that all players are being given you know four weeks holiday with the idea of returning to individual training uh around about the 22nd of may or whatever the monday is around that club facilities start to open with strict you know hygiene and distancing practices still in place for a brief preseason 
starting around about June 10th or June 11th, and matches begin to resume the weekend of June 4th, 5th. That's my way to see it. You can play, I would say, the bulk of the season in the space of about 30 days, and season's done then. We might have to have a condensed version of the FFA Cup come October, and the new A-League season doesn't start till after the November international window. There's a whole lot of other stuff to talk about in terms of international breaks and how it's going to fit in with the European and international tournaments coming up, but we'll get to that in a second. But that's my theory. It's going to be June 4th, June 5th. We're going to have a massive back-to-football weekend because it's not going to be just the A-League. We're going to get MPL that weekend as well. That's my theory. Adam? Yeah, look, I think so. And um, look, to, to your point as well, I don't... You're right. I don't expect... Um, that will be that there'll be live crowds at any A League games the rest of the season. Um, I think that, I think that's just the reality of it all. Um, I think those sort of measures, as far as full blind normalcy, I think that's six months away. But I think it's important that the game gets underway, you know, in one or two months' time. The one issue, but that I think needs to be resolved, um, is the contract situation with a lot of players um, going to be out of contract come the first. Here's the 1st of May, I think, is when the uh, A-League contract... 31st of May. 31st of May, sorry. So, obviously, that needs to be solved because, obviously, if nothing is done, players can walk before the resumption even starts. So, that, that could really change the landscape of things. It is one thing that is going to have to be addressed as well with the PFA and whatnot, but I think that's something that they might actually be waiting for some guidance uh, from FIFA about because I think that's going to be a global problem mm. where a lot of players in a lot of leagues are going to be off contract before they're able to actually finish their season. Scott? Yeah, you, I think you're right, James. I mean, it's something like they have to work through in general because they've got PFA negotiations in general for the upcoming CBA to work through. But just to backtrack, James, do you say you think that the that football could resume June 4th? July 4th. July 4th. Okay, I was going to say, because June 4th, that sounds about a month too soon for what I was thinking. Mm. The other thing is talking about we could run it as late as you want and then because it couldn't, it's not going to impact the start of next season. I mean, this is the sort of stuff that's going on at the moment. When does next season start? There's a whole sorts of discussions around when around television deals and could we switch seasons. I mean, all these things are up in the air at the moment. So I definitely think there's the time there to finish the season, if that is the ultimate goal here, to get it done. Because then, if it does start in J- July, then you can get it done anyway and, and have a condensed pre-season. I agree with that, but that's on a current A-League summer schedule. But... There's so many things up in the air at the moment that you can go through. It's quite fascinating. Well, I'm kind of working on the assumption that the general date to finish all like current domestic seasons, sort of working off the European model that we're seeing with the Premier League, Bundesliga, all of those, where they're being told that they have to be finished in time for a Champions League final on the weekend of the 30th of August, I think it is. So I'm assuming that all like current competitions that run over our summer, the northern winter are going to have to finish by that point in time. So that's why I say that, you know, they they have a little bit longer than their European counterparts. That is something I probably should have clarified a little bit more, but that's just me. Adam? Look, if, that, if that's a schedule, then look, they'll be, with, with, they'll be, be able to do that with time to spare. Um, that's, that's, you know, you only need to really fit, you know, get six weeks in, you know, between, even if it's a start later in July, um, that, that's still... Yeah, you know, it's still eight weeks that they have, and with only three rounds to go plus a final series, and you can probably condense that down a little. Um, yeah, six weeks. I have a couple of weeks to spare in that. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, we've touched on it a little bit, and Scott, I want to go to you for this first. The bigger picture is there is there are so many things that this game, like that Australian football, needs to take this time to try and resolve. 
what do you think people like James Johnson and his cohorts at the FFA should be trying to address now? Like, we'll try and just run through a laundry list of these issues because I think from our discussions, there are quite a lot to go through. I think he's got a lot on his plate at the moment. He's got to juggle the um, commercial realities of contracts that have been signed with the league season having to finish by June the 30th. I know you're talking about it can run as late as August, but I think a lot of the contracts are around June the 30th, so there's that looming deadline to try and get them done. But if you're James Johnson, I think you've got to look at, from the bigger picture, what do we want Australian football to look like in, in five to ten years' time? Do we want to be playing still in the summer? Do we want to be playing in the winter? Do we want promotion, relegation, salary caps? All these things can be on the table right now because this is the time for a complete reset if you want to have one. If you're happy with the league in its current format, running October to May, salary capped, closed shop, no promotion relegation, then it's fine to continue it if that's what you want to do. But all these changes, if you want to make them, now's probably the best chance you're going to have to be able to do so. Yeah, look, that's the thing is, is that um, to, if you try and put any silver lining on this whole pandemic and whatnot, and there's not much of a silver lining to it, but like in 2005, after the wake of the Crawford report, football had to reset to get to where we are now. But in doing that, being out of sight and mind for you know, 18 months basically killed any momentum and allowed to the likes of AFL and NRL and, and rugby union to get ahead. Every code is in that spot at the moment. So if they if they want to, if the FFA, the clubs, and whoever else, the governments in this country want to sort of you know shape the future, now's the time to do it because you're not going to get another opportunity. We hope like this where um where you can actually you know do do some major reform to governance to, to competition structures and whatnot and not give away ground to your your rival codes. Well, that's it, and it is the unfortunate reality. Like, I, I really don't like the Code War debate. I think it's, you know, tired and played out, but the sad reality is this is still a very condensed marketplace that you you still have to fight for space in, and I think we're all in agreement that football really should be a winter sport, and it would be great to have the A-League lined up with the state competitions, but as long as the game is beholden to that Fox broadcast deal that we will get onto in a little bit more detail, because that's been making plenty of news in the last couple of weeks... I, I kind of feel like the only way to really get anything resembling clear air is to try and, I suppose, dominate those summer months. Oh, there's no clear oh, air, James. Sorry, oh, Adam, there's no clear yeah. air because cricket is is the is really the national sport when you think about it. It's the sport that all parts of Australia consider right up there. The, the various football codes, depending where you are, different ones are number one, but cricket's kind of played nationally. So dominating the summer landscape was a good idea a decade ago, then the um, the um, T20 stuff really kicked off, and that became such a big thing that that's kind of dominating. But even that started somewhere else. So I don't think, yeah, but it, it it's still going. I can't see how you can dominate the landscape at all. So you're going to have to play to your strengths. What is the strength of football? And I think it's you got to you have to we have to have one game unified. And unless you're going to get all the grassroots football to move to summer, I think. As much as it'll be a massive culture shock and a change, I think we have to seriously look at at a winter competition. Look, I, I'd be pretty much took the words out of my mouth, Scott, on that. That basically, look, I, for me personally, I don't care if it's a summer or winter sport. What needs to happen is there needs to be alignment. And that means that your professional league must line up with your grassroots. And that's not what's happening at the moment. And until the, until such a time, we're going to continue to have these problems. So look, look whether it's a winter sport, a summer sport, a fall, uh, I should say form, my Americanism there, an autumn or a spring sport, doesn't matter as long as all the 
that there is a, a pyramid, as people have been saying, you know, where you got from professional down to grassroots, as long as it's all play at one aligned time, then it doesn't matter. That's the first key that needs to be answered, is alignment. I agree. Now, this is the way that I do think it could work, possibly uh, going over to a winter sport, and that is the fact that at the moment, there's no space on Fox in their winter uh, calendar where you have rugby league and AFL dominating the thing. Now, look, we know Fox isn't happy with the product of the A-League at the moment. I think there are a lot of fans that think the A-League product could be a lot better, myself included. I think if you wound up with the A-League somehow finding its way over to a broadcaster such as Optus Sport, who have been marketing themselves as the home of football now for the last 6 to 12 months... I think that's the way you do it. And you get Optus with some component of a free-to-air deal where you get, you know, two games per weekend on Channel 10, even if it is a simulcast of the Optus broadcast, because let's be honest, that's how you get eyes on it. Main free-to-air channel, like proper HD broadcasting as well, because I don't want any of that standard deaf stuff. That is how I see it working as a winter sport. Now, just purely to play devil's advocate to my own point there... I do remember when the A-League started in August and there were all these complaints about how the games would always, especially on a Saturday and a Sunday, they would overlap with the NPL games, the local NPL games kicking off at that same time. And I remember there was a raw, I want to say Wellington game in about August 2010. It was Postacoglu's first season and Tommy Orr got sent off uh, from memory. And actually it might have been Frank Farina's last season come to think of it anyway it was 2009 what you're talking about yeah. yeah exactly and Tommy all got sent off against Wellington and the crowd was I think about 8,000 because of the game at 2.30 on a Saturday afternoon which should be a fine time in Brisbane but all the local football clubs were like couldn't go because they had match days on so now you've got to try and work out okay say you move to a winter sport and the Roar are playing a game on Saturday June 7th uh, 7.30 kickoff at Suncorp Stadium you have to make sure that the NPL that weekend is scheduled around that game. So if you're playing on a Saturday afternoon, you'll finish by 4 o'clock so the local fans can actually stop, get home, and get back to Suncorp Stadium for the game or get to a TV screen with it on. Clubs can put it on like we saw with that Australia-France game in the World Cup. Look, I think that's that's going to be the reality of it is that I think there's more people that, you know, again, the whole one... You know, one sort of harmonised um, league from grassroots up to professional. That's something they've got to deal with. They can't, they can't have their cake and eat it. Like, it's a case of, well, do we want to showcase a professional game and the grassroots beneath it? But then they've got to work around it. So the, the, the maximum exposure for the, um, for, for the professional game without, without compromising competitions at the, um, at the grassroots level. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough balancing act. But, look, um, the times in 2010 and before that, especially in the uh, infancy, is very, very different to 2020. Scott? Yeah, they kind of balanced out a few times before, James, when needs of much. You think about the um, grand finals in particular states, wherever they are, the um, MPL in that particular city or state on that day doesn't seem to play so people can go. So... I think you can balance that around if you really want to. The other thing around that time, James, was the, the league did start in August and it ran into the our league started as the other leagues were playing their final series. And that might be an argument against playing in the winter. But I would just say, if you start a few weeks later, then what do they start? February? February, March, yeah. So you start March and you run through to, say, late October, early November. You've got clear air then in terms of the football coach to run your peak your peak content, your finals content in almost free air. I think there's not much on at that time of year. I think it's only, I think it's only horse racing at that point in the year, isn't it? The, 
the cricket hasn't really started by then. So you can kind of have that that late that late spring window to finish your season, and that, I think that could work quite well. I say this very rarely, but I think you two have actually swung me around a lot more towards the idea of making this a like making the move to winter. Funny thing is, I was never a big proponent of actually playing in winter until now. I think it, I think it's the move we have to make to a lot because alignment of the game is absolutely fundamental. Otherwise, it'll continue to be fractured. You'll have people on one side who are pro A league and not so much interested in the grassroots. Then you'll have the the pro grassroots people who have no interest in the A league. We need to try and unify that as much as we can. The FFA Cup's been a good first step, but if we can have some sort of even if it's not a pyramid, even if just the leagues run at the same time, I think that would be a a really good step. And the funny thing is about all this, because I know Adam and I have been talking about this, is the fact that now that the A-League is actually finally independent, they need the grassroots games more than ever. And the same way the FFA still probably needs something from the A-League. Yeah, look, absolutely. And, that, and that's, like I said, it's... It's all, again, I use the word harmonisation. And, and like I said, it needs to be a bit of you know, creative scheduling, especially if... Um, you're not going to have the the big, you know, fifty thousand seat stadiums available. Where you know, if the league does decide to go into smaller boutique stadiums, what's what's the the harm in having, say, for example, you having a NPL curtain raiser, be it you know, Victoria, New South Wales, leading into um, an A League game? Like it doesn't, like I said, I'm sure that there will be clubs out there that would would like to, you know, basically say, take for example, for Brisbane, I'm sure Peninsula Power would love to play a five o'clock game on a Saturday afternoon leading into a Brisbane Raw game at 7.30, you know, assuming that there's no, that, you know, that these schedules open. So, look, I think there's a lot of creative ways to do it. And I think, again, you know, especially if we're moving towards that, you know, that, you know, dare I say, promotion relegation or at least a second, national second division, um, you've got to get more creative with scheduling rather than say, oh, you know, this is over there and that's over there and we've got to try and make it work. Uh, the correct name, Adam, is National Second League or NSL for short. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, of course, my apologies. But the other point on that as well is the fact that, yeah, it is going to, it is funny now that, you know, the A-League clubs have wanted independence for so long, but it seems like more than ever they're going to have to work with whoever does make up that second division and also the uh, NPL sides and the state federations and everything. And, you know, I, I know there are varying levels of, you know, uh, relationship on in all around Australia even, but I do think there is, like, a way to make it work. And let's be honest, if the FFA does need to sell a broadcast package, it would be well served for the A-League clubs to try and say, hey, can we get in on this? Especially if it's going to an Optus sport who you know, like who you know has to do a good job with it because in all honesty their livelihood as a company probably depends on doing a good job and bringing in as many football subscribers as possible now i know they're also possibly bidding for rugby union rights as well which i, I i'd happily take that on off to sport as well that would work quite well for you wouldn't it to have the two sports that you like the most on um foxtel moves right right over at the same time work quite well for you but it actually worked quite well for Optus well to have one or both of them through the winter because then they've got prime content all through the calendar year. They've got the Premier League from September to May and they'd have Australian football or rugby or some some combination of the two through the actual calendar year. Because otherwise, at the moment for them, there's a bit of a dead period in June, July, unless they have to happen to have a World Cup in a given year. So for them, it would give them guaranteed content all year round. So I actually think for if you are talking about um, moving to winter and a broadcast partner who might uh, that might appeal to, 
I think it could very well appeal to them. But the good thing as well with Optus as well is that unlike Foxtel or Fox Sports, is that you can have 10 channels. So if you have one channel for rugby union or even a couple of channels for, for that, and you can have you can have you can have everything, and it's up to the viewer to pick and choose. Whereas you know with uh, with Fox Sports, obviously you've got your set hard and fast channels, you know Fox One, Fox League, you know etc. So uh, look again, having having that streaming service where it's basically viewers' choice all the time. Look, you can have as much content as possible on there. So I think that's where Optus Sport would have some sort of advantage because you don't have you don't they don't need to have those ten channels running all the time. Only when needed. And also just as just as a subtle mention as well Optus Sport if you are happening to look for commentators that can do football and rugby union I'm available just putting it out there I haven't heard you call rugby yet I, neither have I his football comment football commentary is um so-so but the rugby could be a good one we don't know hey, I'm, I'm still happy with that game I did with you up in Toowoomba <laughs> on quite a lot of cold and flu medication <laughs> yes but anyway um yeah there was like, there is a lot that, you know, Optus can bring to the game. And if they can pair it with a free-to-air partner who doesn't have a whole lot of uh, sport offerings at the moment in terms of uh, well, football codes, I think Channel 10 is a perfect outlet to go to. We know they were close to getting the A-League rights. I think possibly even for this season as well, before CBS uh, pulled the plug on that. But CBS has a massive sports division in the US. So I don't see why they wouldn't want to consider investing in Australian sport here, even if you even if you do have to consider giving up a certain percentage, like 10% stake in the league or something. It could be interesting because it could be a really good buy-low option for any public, any of the um, freeware broadcasters, given the the league has stagnated its better so over the last few years. It could be a good opportunity to get in at this level if it is going to grow to another, a whole new level going to winter potentially. It could be a really good time to get in at that level, I think. But it's interesting, Optusport have... I think they have really positioned themselves as the home of football. You're right, James. Mm. They had that. They literally um, say that on the loading screen in their yeah, app. They, they, yeah, they had that. Um, the um, all the, that thing with the Socceroos, all, all the old boys back the other day, on Monday, and that was really, really fascinating. The um, the interest that they have in in actually um, growing the game and fixing some of these problems is quite interesting to me because they're at the moment as a broadcaster, they have no alignment to anything involving Australian football at the moment because they don't have any of the rights to it, but they've they showed a real interest and a concern for growing the game. And you compare that to the current broadcaster, since the league has gone into hibernation, they haven't shown much football at all. They have got the 20 greatest derbies this week. It. That's about it. What's that? We've got 20 greatest derbies this week. That's about it. Oh, when was that? That's <laughs> this week. Starts, starts this week on 5.07, I believe. So I, th- I, think, okay. I think we might get a couple of M1 derbies on there. Yeah. Which I haven't, I have, I've been looking through the TV, but I just genuinely haven't seen anything on there. So it's been interesting to see that the um the broadcasters who have the rights haven't really shown much interest in in it in this time. Whereas the uh, and a rival broadcaster who have no no vested interest in Australian football currently have seem to have a great interest in at least fixing some of the problems. And obviously we know the players they had on there obviously have a vested interest because it's it's been their livelihood to play the game. For, for Australia and in Australia, so they have an interest, but as a broadcaster, they haven't really got that at the moment. So it was really interesting to see how much concern and detail they put into that, because it was a really good, a really good show. And if you haven't seen it, I encourage people to go and watch it. Definitely. Uh, one quick point on that as well. We should point, we should mention that, as it stands, uh, from what we've gathered, Foxtel hasn't actually paid the, the install, the final instalment for the 2019-20 season that was due to go to clubs, because obviously the league is in hiatus and the rumours going around about Fox Sports is well, let's be honest, lack of money. 
Um, so as it stands, that could be cause for the broadcast deal to be terminated. It might, it may, it may not. We don't know. I think the A-League has to, according to what's been posted online, has to have its games finished by June 30th to qualify for that final payment. There may be some sort of awesome. extension negotiated. Uh, but... As it stands, there's still another three years left on that broadcast deal. So there, for it to move to Optus Sport for next season, there would have to be some form of, um, I suppose, yeah, contract breaking. That's really bad English. Yeah, yeah look, I, thought, I was going to say that um, I think the interesting thing with Fox Sports as well, and, that, and you and I were speaking about this uh, today, James, is that obviously the negotiations, that's, that's renegotiation has been going on with the NRL broadcast rights, where... Obviously, Fox Sports and uh, Channel 9 are going in for a renegotiation at a lower rate on the extension. That may free up some money to, to give to at least allow Fox Sports at least, you know, get sort of back in the game a little bit. So I think that I think it's, it's pretty clear with Sundry to all. They, they've overspent way too much um, as far as, you know, the, the league rights, the AFL rights, you know, and then, and then the, the cricket rights. Um, and with subscriptions not really sort of, you know, following their part, in fact, they're falling, um, basically, yeah, they're in a dead end. So I think, them, I think them trying to sort of renegotiate deals and using this pandemic as a reason to be able to renegotiate a lower price, um, that may at least give uh, Fox Sports a little bit more sort of, you know, money to play with. But look, um, it's much as saying that this may be had, as they say, for divorce as far as the, uh, the partnership between uh, football and Foxtel. Yeah, exactly. Well, Look, as it stands here, there's just so much up in the air. And obviously the broadcast deal is something that we're all probably a little bit more across than certain other aspects of resuming the league. But one point that I do want to uh, move on to before we uh, get onto Orange Sunday 2 memories is... So just before you move on from the broadcast deal, James, I think the, um, it's, if it's not finished by June the 30th, I think that actually gives the broadcaster an out in the, there's a clause in the contract that if you haven't finished the league season by June the 30th, that gives them some sort of some sort of clause where they can activate uh, a way out. I think that's the way it's been reported in the in the press. So yeah, oh. I think that's that's why that's why June thirties is is such a big deal in a lot of the stories that people are writing at the moment. There will be lawyers by the sounds of it, one way or another. But you do. I will. My final thought on that, just quickly, is I do wonder if you know both parties kind of want to try and find a way out of it because again, just I, I feel like if you're James Johnson and you're wanting to go about this the right way i think the only i think you've got to be starting to talk to other broadcasters whether it's optisport whether it's even amazon or even twitter or i something. i like i said i my my feeling is that ffa should try and so follow the leaf of um of the asian confederation actually um do their own in-house um in-house sort of, you know, production as far as, you know, getting a partner like Lagadere Sports do for AFC and actually control the content and sell it off piece by piece. Well, because obviously something like the Socceroos International Games are going to be worth a hell of a lot more than, say, you know, with all due respect, you know, the W League, for example. Or Central um, Coast. Yeah, well, exactly. So, Perth. Look, Leave them alone. Okay, Perth. <laughs> but, yeah, but the point is that, yeah, like, so they shouldn't just be looking at, oh, there's Optus Sports, there's, you know, there's a free-to-air network, so there's, you know, trying to make up with, with Fox Sports. They need to be creative and, and thinking, you know, what to go ahead. Like, so it's similar to what the NFL have done over there with the NFL network or anything like that. Because at the end of the day, and this is a, for all Australian sports, it just seems to be that they're all been sort of, you know, held to ransom by... You know, the, these burgeoning TV rights deals that they've signed. And in the end, it sounds like that the, the TV networks are the ones that are running the game, not the game itself. 
Okay, well, just on that as well, you did give me a very good point uh, to mention there as well, Adam. Is I think one thing that is going to be very clear, not just for football, but for all sports, is I think they're going to have to find, uh, a lot of these clubs and leagues are going to have to find alternate revenue streams rather than just saying, mm. all right, the TV broadcast deal will cover all of our costs and that's going to, and then anything else we get is gravy. So I think what we're going to be seeing, you, you right, like you've got to, anything has to be on the table at the moment. That's the point I'm trying to get to. Um, and yeah, we might see, you know, an A-League, like the A-League team up with, for example, here in Brisbane, you've got Double Take Sports who do a fantastic job on the NPL uh, broadcasts. And I think they also do Premier Rugby and a bunch of other sports as well. So you've got plenty of, you know, production companies that could come and handle it and, yeah, do what I think would be a pretty good job. Yeah, I think Adam's point bang on. I think a lot of these sports currently are, so be- are almost being run by the television because they're mm. so beholden to, to them in terms of what they have to do. But you also brought up the W League, and I think that's another really interesting... If it, that does move from summer to winter, that could be a league where... There could be some genuine problems because at the moment that's a league that's underpinned by its international stars, both the Matildas players and the players who come to the league from overseas. And I don't think you're going to get those players here if that league moved to winter. So maybe that might be the one exception to the rule where maybe maybe that league has to stay in summer just purely to attract the best possible talent to make that viable. But Well, actually, to be honest, and I don't mean to rag on W League, but I think they're in a lot more trouble already because obviously the law of the European leagues, obviously the NWSL are making overtures that they want to expand out you know, further on and the desires that they don't want, that they don't want like those who are in women's football, so that, that sort of, you know, that faction, they don't want to be, you know, a feeder league to the NWSL and vice versa. That could be a development league anyway in a year or two anyway. So I don't think you can make changing plans around, oh, what you hope for. Um, because, yeah, I, I think I think the, 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 the horse might have bolted already on the W League that um, basically you're not going to have your international Matildas and whatnot here because they're going to be chasing the money and whatnot in North America or in Europe. I will say to your credit, Adam, you've been saying this, I think, since... We did that W League preview back in November where this could be the last season of the W League being the big draw that it is because of the lure of Europe. Yeah, and look at and I, I wish I wish I had better sort of, you know, news than that, but I don't want to be the pessimist or but I think yeah, I think a lot of um W League fans have to recognise that, you know what, yeah, that you know, the, the days of you know the Sam Kerrs and you know the the, the big you know Matilda's players or even you know the international stars that come out here, that may not happen because they've figured it out in Europe that women's football actually can produce money and, and, and the money is there that they're going, they're going to track the best players. But the W League, yeah, and that's the thing now, the W League has to be one of those leagues where they look at every option on the table and go, alright, where can we go from here? But it seems like they're maybe a little bit better positioned to turn themselves into that developmental league where we see a lot of the young talents coming through, like India Page Riley, uh, Holly Palmer, another one and whatnot and like all those young players that you know you can say see the next generation of Matildas now and look let's be honest a lot of these clubs absolutely and a lot of these clubs you know the transfer values aren't going to be anywhere near what they are for you know an A-League player going over to Europe but clubs can still make a pretty decent dollar on players like I think Hayley Rasso commanded a transfer fee and a couple of other players have as well where they might oh have everything got money have they <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think they're st- I think they're still uh, going off the Tim Cahill sale to uh, Red Bull New York. <laughs> but like my point still stands is, you know, it seems like they're possibly better positioned to say, all right, we're going to. This is how we're going to turn this league into one that makes a bit of money. 
but anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Look, uh, yeah, I agree. And that, and like I said, the one, that's the one thing that stands out. As I remember, uh, I think it was either in the semi-final or grand final um, when Natasha Dowie was um, commentating. She did make a point that you know the one thing that she loves about the W League is that the fact that it's a it's a league that gives opportunity to young players to sort of, to develop and shine. And um, look, and that's and that's the the tagline they probably need to the realities that they need to go down. Is that you know what it's going to be almost a under twenties league of the best you know young count in in Australia and, you know, and go from there. And, you know, hopefully it does become a selling league. Yeah, definitely. And look, just because you're not getting the best of the best players like a Sam Kerr and whatnot, doesn't mean you still can't recruit some pretty good players from overseas as well. Like we've seen someone like a Riley Basin would come in and, you know, yeah. certainly looked at home. And while she might not be quite at that superstar level, she's a she can be a really good draw. I think you'll get less of those now, though, James. That's the thing. If, it, if the league does run at the same time as the NWSL... And European leagues. All European leagues run through the current W season now, so it's so that wouldn't necessarily be the mm. problem. But if you're running at the same time as that, it, I think you'd see less players coming here. That's the thing. You would you'd probably see less Riley Basin and those type of players. So that would be it. Make it very very difficult in terms of the quality. But if it does become a league, then where you grow your own and to build and develop, and clubs almost run academies on the on the women's side as well to develop players to want sell. That could work. It's just. I think that's. I think that would be a really interesting discussion in terms of what's best for women's football in Australia. Is it best if that league does stand alone in the summer or does move to the winter? But it would be a very interesting discussion. I think it's it's a separate discussion. I think that's a, to be fair on that. You just can't lump lump it all and say, oh, it's a, it's the same thing because the it's is not. And I should just point out as well, Football Queensland, as we're recording, is pre- uh, re-premiering their video of the 2019. NPL Grand Final with a... Who's that mug next to Simon Smale? <laughs> I, I was actually genuinely curious if they were going to replay the whole broadcast, including myself and Simon, and it looks like they are. So that's made my night. I'm going to go watch that. Yes, I'm na- I know I'm narcissistic. But we probably should keep moving because we have been talking for nearly 40 minutes and finish off... Wow. Yeah, and fin- we'll, we'll finish off with uh, some memories of what is a very special anniversary today. It is not my sister's... 20th wedding anniversary it is in fact orange sunday too scott we'll start off we'll start off with you and uh i won't ask what you're doing april 22nd 2000 instead i'll ask what you're doing april 22nd 2012 uh, at this time of this time of the evening or at, um, just in general the actual time the game Give us been, a... okay at this time of the evening i might have been um i might not remember too much of it this time <laughs> But it was a, it was an interesting day, wasn't it? Because it was um, because it was back to back, and it was incredibly satisfying to be able to get that back to back on the end of what was a really tough season and a and a bit of a slog. Because they had a lot of goals they wanted to achieve that year as a club. Obviously, they started off with the, they had a really big goal of that that um, Australian sporting record, which shouldn't be forgotten. That was a big part of the season. They really built around getting to that record. I don't think it's any coincidence they fell into a bit of a hole. As soon as they reached it, because you could really see they were hanging on just mm. to get it. But then they obviously had the Asian Champions League after that the first time in that competition. They wanted to have a good go at that. And then the league at, at times almost felt like it was it was a, a secondary thought a bit at times because they had these so many other goals to worry about. That even they, even though they were close, they were really closing in on the Mariners at the back end of it. Of it, they had it gone another couple of weeks. Maybe they would have caught them and, and won the back-to-back premiers plates as well. But it seemed like the actual league season was a secondary thought. Then the finals kicked in, and that became the absolute focus. And it was a terrific 
a terrific way to culminate a great season. And we'll talk about the game in a minute itself. But I just thought the actual the whole that the way the whole season ran, it was a great way to finish it. Yeah, look, the um, like I said you had the uh, the the game stands out other than from that season, other than obviously Orange Sunday, which we'll get to shortly. Was again, it was the game against Adelaide early in the season. I think that was number thirty-five. I think in the streak. A bit uh, earlier. It was a bit earlier. Anyway, that was said. Scrambling to the grim death by the end of that streak. Yeah, but uh, that was the game that you know Bess up Risha sort of you know stood up and and really sort of you know announced himself with that four goal pummeling of a. Uh, you know, four goals against you know, Adelaide in that 7-1 game. But also as well, when the, when the streak did end, um, and there was no coincidence that's when Thomas Broach went down as well. So obviously, the, I think we also learnt that, you know, how big of a, um, I guess, a talisman that Broach was to, to, the, um, to the side. And when he was injured, they lost five in a row. Well, that's what I remember about that season as well, is just how massively up and down it was. There was that really flat opening uh, game against the Mariners that in what was like a very, very empty Suncorp Stadium. Um, I think it was a, almost seven months since the grand final because they'd pushed the season start back to October. And then, yes, you had the streak uh, that ran through to late November against uh, uh, Perth. Perth was the, 36. Yep, that's right. The uh, 4-0 win, which I had to miss because I was at my then-girlfriend's 21st party. So I might have gotten in trouble for checking my phone a lot that night. Uh, or at least for the two. Do we have phones back then? I was getting text messages from a friend who was at the game. Ah, oh, okay. Score updates and everything. Anyway, um, yeah, but then obviously, as you mentioned, uh, guys, there was like, a certain, like, you could tell Broich was just holding on and like his ankle, that was the start of uh, the ankle problems he had, I think, playing in Australia, where he missed hmm. all of December and half of January. But then there was that wild return against Sydney FC where the highs of that season were unbelievably oh. high. And that return where Broich and Enrique, I've still got a video of that substitution being made sitting on my hard drive somewhere. And there was only about 15,000 at Suncorp that night, but that was unbelievably loud when that came back on. Uh, and then, yeah, you had the two league final series against the Mariners where you thought if the season had have gone on for one more week, there was every chance that they would have caught them and actually done the double again. And then, yeah, it got to the grand final. And I, I've got to be totally honest, like with the way the Asian Champions League went and the fact that Post, we knew by that point Postacoglu was pretty much gone, it actually was a little bit of a bittersweet ending as well because it felt like what had been a phenomenal two years was coming to an end. We, it, You knew that this was going to be it. And I remember, you know, after that grand final, getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but everyone was just saying, please stay, don't go, don't go. But there were so many expectations built up because in the whole will he stay, will he go drama, there was all this stuff about Postacoglu being offered, you know, the Bakri Group director of football role where he was going to be paid, you know, $10 million a year to oversee the entire vision of the Bakri football group teams and all of that. And... He left for victory. Like, I mean, you know, he's not the first person to do that, and he definitely won't be the last, but it was just such a bittersweet thing. And the grand final itself, I'm going to be totally honest, it kind of sucked as a game outside of the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I actually watched the game back today, and you're not wrong. It was a very, very flat occasion. There was a few reasons for it. I think both sides came into it with pretty heavy legs. Obviously, the glory displayed back-to-back games for 120 minutes to get there, which was a terrific effort. 
on their behalf. And the Raw obviously had a lot of travel into Asia. I know that week they didn't travel, but they had a game midweek. I think against all signed from memory. And mm. it was it, both teams were pretty flat. I think there was a, what, a field as typical of a cycle stadium grand final wasn't the best. I think all these things kind of made it not a great game. I don't think there were too many shots on target for either side. I mean, well, I've actually, I've we actually, got, the, I've actually got the stats in front of me because yeah, um, we know Glory they, didn't have any on their own for ninety minutes. I don't think the they Roy had, had zero shots either. They had zero shots glory. on target. They had two shots on goal. So yeah. this this whole thing. What was you the know, second one? Oh, I Trendy don't... Chad won for him with winning. What was the other one? <laughs> I don't know. What was the other shot? I'm, gonna, I'm going to assume it was Shane Smeltz. <laughs> but the other point of that as well is... like, So the other point I remember about that grand final weekend. So the Reds played on the Friday night. I don't think the Broncos had a home game that weekend. But That would be why the field was no good. Yeah, because they had, a twen- <laughs> they had the under-20s game, I'm fairly certain, before the Reds game. And Ange wasn't all that happy about that. But my other point... Uh, the other point on that... I, remember is I had a friend getting married at Mount Tambourine on Saturday afternoon. So I remember having to rush back from the Gold Coast Sunday morning, do a frantic change to the uni radio show I did called Kickoff on Jack Radio. We did a Sunday special live from midday to one o'clock. And I actually said, I think the Raw are going to win 2-1. Barish is going to score a late goal. So I felt like an absolute genius that day. <laughs> they well, just talk about the action from the... Um from the first half, the one the the one incident that um that uh, sticks out in my mind was when uh, Matt Smith pretty pretty much took out uh, Shane Smelt, left yeah. him as the elephant man. Yeah, that was actually quite funny because I think he wound up losing teeth there as well. But that was about as good as it got in that first half. There was a moment toward I think in first half stoppage time where there was about six minutes because Smelt's got uh, his face caved in. But I remember Barisha dawdled on the ball and. At that point, I was 22 and used to sitting in the den. So the cleaned up version of what I was screaming from row three on halfway was, Barisha, you're a striker. You're paid to shoot. Stop thinking. Stop something around. Shoot the something ball. You're a striker. Don't think. Just shoot. To be fair, look at his face kind of thought he was thinking the same kind of thought. So Yeah, unfortunately, there was a group of, I would say about, there was a group of 14-year-old girls just in front of us, and I was just sitting there going, that's why I probably should have bought tickets in the den. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so that was, that was my uh, big takeaway from that, um, from, that f- from that first half. But then, yeah, obviously Ivan Franjic scored a goal in the grand final. Wrong end, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It it wasn't it wasn't ideal, was it? But it was a suck, it was a sucker punch that sucker punch that now in hindsight we should have expected the raw to take. It was it actually really was a really big sucker punch because the raw about thirty seconds before that through Broid actually had a shot, one of their better shots on goal for the whole game actually, stinging the palms of Vukovic, and then that that's what launched the counter attack that led to the first goal. So the raw really did start the second half better on the first half and were on the front foot, but. That goal came against the runner play and it gave Perth what really they were hoping for. From their point of view, I mean, I hate giving them credit. We're going to talk about the correct decision in a minute. But from their point of view, the game was going absolutely perfectly according to plan because they'd, they'd stifled the game in the first half, played it the way they wanted to. They created one or two half chances on the break and they finally got got their goal, albeit gifted to them from the raw. But it was going so well for them. And I think the one thing that I was really confused at at the time and actually almost angry about was the substitutions I mean to take off Eric Pardlow and Enrique obviously it worked out but I thought at the time that was really really gutsy coaching from 
for a man to bring on a couple of players who who he'd brought through younger players, Meyer, Fitzgerald, and Bratton. I think were the three who came on, yep. and they had they had an impact, and they were players who the club had groomed and brought through. But I thought that was such a huge risk in the time to take off a couple of key players at that point. Well, that's the thing that w- I think does get lost in that season as well is the fact that you saw Luke Bratton starting to take over from Eric Pardaloo and. Look, I had some friends who, you know, jumped on the grand final bandwagon every year. And one of them was losing his mind going, why are you taking Pardaloo off? He scored in last year's grand final. I went, the guy they're bringing on is pretty good in his own right. Like he's, (laughs) you know, in Andrew's words, the best passer I've ever coached. So you're right. That was a ballsy move. And it's one that really paid off as well because that... Not the Pardaloo was slow, but it really did inject a little bit more pace into that front line. And yeah, it, and then eventually the Raw managed to equalise through a pinpoint free kick from Broich to Barisha. And I, having listened back to this, I love Simon Hill's call of that moment as well. It was, you know, Bessart Barisha restores parity in the grand final. And it, it's one of those things that he just does so well. Adam? <laughs> Yeah, um, so I missed I missed the last bit of that, but um, it's what he does so well. Yeah, yeah. look, it, it is, and that's and that's like I said, you know, best up Richard, That's what he's, you know, as we know, with hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. Um, he he's the he's the man in the moment when when you rely on someone to, to pop up to at least to get the, to get the equalizer with five to go. Um, look, it, it, the script went right, but even I just even remembering that. You know, being there at Suncorp Stadium that day, you thought, "Oh, Bridges got a score here. He's if he gets the opportunity, he's going to take it because this is this is made for him." And it was one of those points of like, if it was going to be anyone, it had to be Barisha. And it did kind of feel like you know when they made those subs and you know started that goal was the reward for waking up essentially. It was, and that what those all those subs actually did. Sorry to go back to was it moved Broich centrally because Fitzgerald went out to the left hand side and. That really gave Perth a whole new different problem because we hadn't seen Thomas Broich play in a central role too often. In fact, we didn't see it too often after that either, but it really did give them a completely different problem because he was being hemmed in quite quite well on that right-hand side defensively for Perth with with reason. And then they brought Scott Neville on as well to really double up on him on that right-hand side as they tried to see the game out. So bringing Broich in a central role just gave the whole different problem and it helped the Raw play through the middle. I know the, the cross from the goal did come from the left, but it had such a had such a massive impact, even in the moments before the goal, him centrally. And I think you're right. With the with the way the game was going, the way it was set up, it was if anyone was going to get the Raw back into it, it was going to be it was going to be a Borussia goal. It was that combination. He was the he was the goal scorer on the field who had scored most of the goals all year. A lot of the other goal scorers had been subbed off. Obviously, Enrique was a regular source of goals. He was off the field. Meyer. And Fitzgerald, as good good a players as they were, they weren't noted goal scorers at the time or ever really. So it was, if it was going to be anyone, it was going to be Barisha, and it was a terrific bit of play. The header, with, the header on the near post there. That's that's an underrated bit of skill actually when you think about it. To to go across the ball and head the ball back towards that near post there. That's that's a really really good finish. Yeah, definitely. All right, so we'll move on now, not to that incident, but the one just before it, and talk about Dean Heffernan getting sent off as well. Yes. And so, like, that was one of those ones where I was like, as soon as that happened, I knew the Raw were going to win. It was just a case of I thought it was going to be extra time, which I was hoping it wasn't going to go to because I was honestly quite hungry by that point. But, yeah, sent off, changed the momentum, which then led to the penalty. And let's just get this out of the way. Tony Sage can abuse Jared Gillette and his then-girlfriend, now-wife, as much as he wants. It was the right call. 
plain and simple. It was a penalty. Liam Miller clipped it. Barisha's uh, left foot caused him to lose his balance. Foul, penalty. The one problem I did have with it was Barisha carrying on like a bit of an idiot after being awarded the penalty, where mm. if it had been for any other team, I would have been sitting there going, geez, I hope he misses it. Well, exactly. You know, that's, but then again, you know, he's it, it's, it's a man you love to hate, uh, Bess up, Richard, because you know, he's on your side. He's the man you want. You know, it just shows the absolute passion of him. But yeah, look, I can see why you know, he's public enemy number one in Perth after that celebration. Look, as far as you know, the penalty goes, my, my view on history is that, you know what, the call was made. It is what it is. Um, it was yeah, soft. Look, I can understand. Hmm. Look, it was soft, but at the end of the day, the, the call was made at the time. This is this is the pre VAR you know days. You know VAR wasn't even an acronym back thank then. Thank God so. there was no VAR. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Yeah, that, be looking at it. The funny thing is, though, well, I don't know. The funny thing is, though, <laughs> yeah. when they launched VAR, they actually used that call as one of the ones that said if it had been reviewed, it would have stood because it was the correct call. That's my favourite part of it all. I think it's more of a case... Well, I don't think there'll be enough to overturn it. So, even such. But look, at the end of the day, I can understand, you know, Perth being upset. You know, the fans, you know, it's a heartbreaking way. But then again, you know what? They also had 90 minutes to um, win the game. They were 1-0 up, for God's sake. And my other favourite response is as well, you know, if Jared Gillette was going to fix the grand final, which I think it's fair to say he didn't, uh, if he was going to do it, you think he might have done it a little bit earlier? Maybe, you know, sent off Shane Smeltz for headbutting Matt Smith's elbow? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Actually, on that, it, it was really disgraceful the way that Tony Sage in Perth went after yeah. Jared and obviously the Raw employee at the time as well. I thought that was really, really below the belt to go after them in that way. It was so far beneath the belt. It's something that everyone knew before the fact. It wasn't. It wasn't just something that was discovered after the fact. It was a known fact around refereeing circles at the time. Anyway, it was so far beneath the belt to bring it up. But I thought the decision again, I, again. I was at Liam Miller's introductory press conference when he signed for Brisbane 18 months after that, and one of the first questions he was asked was, is it a penalty? Was, did you make contact? He said, yeah, he did. He admitted yeah. it pretty quickly, and it wasn't wasn't in a jokey kind of way. That, yeah, I, I, I clipped him. So, I mean, it, it was a penalty. It's an incredibly harsh way to lose a game. It's a bit yeah. like the Socceroos in 2006 with Oof. Lucas Neal and Grosso. It's a, it's a harsh way to go out, but it was there. Yeah. And it, it, it was there, and a whole bunch of different referees, as you pointed out, James, have looked back at it in the preceding years, and they've all agreed that, yeah, there was a touch there. It might have been soft. It might have been a complete overreaction from Borussia and the way he went down and then celebrated like a maniac, but it was there. And it- I think deep down inside, a lot of that, a lot of Perth, the, the Glory fans, I think it was because of the reaction that it's what incited them as well. I think, I think a lot of the more fair-minded ones, yes... It's a heartbreaking way, and they go. But the way that you know Borussia did celebrate, yeah, I can see, I can see that they could really, you know, grind, grind, and you now really sort of rub the salt in the wounds. Yeah, but either way, it wasn't a great penalty. It went in. Who cares? Raw were champions. That's all <laughs> I've really got to say to wrap that up. It was a penalty. He scored back to back, three out of four. It was an Orange Dynasty that you could almost argue might like kind of came to an end that night. But look, it was. And, you know, the celebrations were still just as much fun. The trophy was still good. I, I had a lot more fun at the Wanderers Grand Final, but it was a good it was a good ga- uh, ending to an average game. That's the way I always put it. The the uh, the after party at the Normanby was also very good. 
And again, it was another one. If you listen to our best of on uh, Orange Sunday One memories, you can actually hear back to... Uh, I talked about having to go to uni the next morning with no voice. And it was a similar story again, except unlike... Uh, I think I actually had to do... This is when I was studying education. That went well. Uh, I had to do a PE class. So not only did I have no voice and had to practice giving instructions in a uh, basketball court, I had to run around as well. So you can imagine, you know, what level I would, what percentage I was functioning at that next day. You did well to make it to those, actually, because I said this before. I had university all three years after the grand finals as well, and all three of those Mondays, I didn't go. I didn't get out of bed. I just could not move after that. There might have been some sort of alcohol-induced reason for that, but I just couldn't move after those grand finals. So you did well to get to those. I mean, but they're great memories to look back on, aren't they? And hopefully... Hopefully, in the not too distant future, we'll have an Orange Sunday four. Definitely, I look with the way things are going, it might not be all that far away. That's all we'll say. But on that note, we might actually uh, wrap up this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, thanks, lads. Good to talk to you boys again. Yes, definitely, and yeah. good to uh, hopefully help you kill an hour or so. We've enjoyed bringing you this show. Uh, next week, we'll probably be back with another best of, which the three of us might have to work out if there is another possibility of a best of or, or if we've exhausted all <laughs> I think we've gone the well. For best of, I'm not really sure we've got much more to work with. Have we? we might have to record something. We'll see how we go. Obviously, you know, our situation is fluid going forward depending on uh, what happens with the, you know, announcements of when football's coming back. Uh, we'll keep trying to fill out uh, podcasts every week just so you've got something to listen to and you don't forget what our voices sound like. In the meantime, uh, thanks guys. We'll talk to you again down the line uh stay safe everyone and we'll be back later on with another edition of the brisbane football review we'll talk to you then oh good now i can ask you which one of these offensive tackles are my